All right, so uh, we're back for another cutting room floor, and today we're going to lean into a story that I think often, like if you're not really familiar with the Bible, you think, oh, the Bible's a religious text. It has these great things in it. Uh, and yet when you actually read the Bible, you find like there are these amu amazing, beautiful, transformative encounters with God, and then literally some of the most horrible and heinous and unholy things yes, are also presented there for sure like totally. the full spectrum of human life yeah and actually we want to talk about not the mountaintop right now <laughs> but actually even some of the like kind of uncomfortable stuff that happens in the book of genesis. yeah for sure yeah and this is what we're talking about today is genesis chapter 38 so it's uh one one chapter here and if i were to kind of title this i would basically say this is a story that's probably not in your children's bible yeah, um, probably not is probably an understatement. <laughs> understatement. And you'll see why <laughs> as we is, go. If it is, you would not buy that children's Bible. <laughs> totally, totally. So um, it's a very delicate and very complex chapter, ah. but I'd like to kind of work through a little bit That's and great. just kind of draw out some implications so, so for where us. where would you start? Yeah, so let's kind of just start kind of where we are in the book of Genesis itself. Okay. So Genesis 38 is actually right after, obviously, Genesis 37. Yeah. But Genesis 37 is the story or the start of what we normally call like the story of Joseph. Okay. And so really Which from goes Gen through pretty much the rest, the rest of, of the book. Yeah. So from 37 to ch chapter 50, you're more or less following the story of Joseph and his brothers. And then right after you're introduced to Joseph, he has the dreams, the brothers are jealous, they throw him yeah. into a pit, that whole thing. You have Genesis 38, where it seems like kind of out of the blue, yeah. this like, weird we sidebar. We were going this way, yeah. and now we're in this like interesting little small alleyway. Totally, yeah. It seems very just kind of off to the side. And what you have then is the story of one of Joseph's brothers, older brothers, Judah. Okay. And it's often called the story of Judah and Tamar. Now, what's interesting, though, is kind of big picture again, is that on one level, yes, mainly we're following through Joseph with his brothers. But actually, back in the beginning of Genesis 37, the narrator told us that he's continuing on the family history of the family of Jacob, yeah. which makes sense because all the way from Genesis 12, really the author of Genesis is really honing in and focusing on Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, yeah. and, and those whole descendants. Family line. Whole family line, exactly. Yeah. So it makes sense then in that way of thinking about it, the story of Judah, who is a part of that same yeah. family line. Yeah gets talked about. So it's not completely divergent would be well, my point Well, sometimes there. we focus on individuals, whereas yeah. in the ancient Near East, right, they would have focused on families. Totally, yeah. And uh, family is really important. And family is huge, yeah. right? And this is an important story yeah. in this family line. Totally. And I think what you're going to help us do is understand maybe some of its larger import. Yes. And kind of even talking about family, I think there's a, a really, I think, important kind of background detail that we need to talk about before we get into actual okay. Genesis 3 for, um, so on its own. So in order to even understand it, there's like another frame. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And this actually kind of fast forwards a little bit to the book of Deuteronomy. Okay. And Deuteronomy 25. So there's still in the Torah. Still in the Torah. A few books forward. A few books forward. Exactly. Yeah. And in Deuteronomy 25, we're introduced to what most people call this Leverite marriage system. Okay. And why this is important is because basically in this Israelite culture, yeah. they were given instructions when a husband and a wife marry. Okay. If that husband were to die and there was living brothers of that husband, it would be in kind of succession of, of age, yeah. that next brother's responsibility to marry that widow, yeah. his, the, that older brother's wife, and to carry on the family line. Yeah. Which now, for us, exactly. feels like, wait, what? What uh, in the world, what yeah, is that? Yeah. Like, this is weird. Very uh, weird, very but strange. But for them, this is actually way different than we would imagine. Totally. And it's actually something I think really important because what it's doing is that, in, especially in this culture, in this kind of time frame, if you were a widow, 
if you were childless and a widow, especially you were very destitute, yeah. you're poor, you were vulnerable. No power. Yeah, no kind of social status, no power at all. And so this system, this Leverite marriage system that's explained here in Deuteronomy 25 is actually very enlightening and may I say progressive for its yeah. day. We're kind of contrary to the other cultures of this day was a way to empower and protect vulnerable women so that yeah. they would be cared for. They would have more or less a social safety net. Yeah. And really, like you're talking about, family becomes very important that the totally. family cares for, you know, widows and orphans, yeah. especially in this scenario. So basically you're a widow or you're, you're married, your husband dies. Now, what do you do? Well, mm -hmm. then if you can have a family and particularly a male at that point, bring you into his family then you and you can have children. Yeah. Then you have a safety net. Totally. That you didn't have before. Yes. So Deuteronomy is written to protect women at that time. At that time, perfect. And that's kind of the the background that I'd like to just have in the back of our heads as we work through. Yeah. You know Genesis yeah. thirty eight right here. Addressing a particular social issue that is sort of maybe even highlighted. Yes. In Genesis. In Genesis thirty eight. Sort of you know, hopefully see the connections as we okay, work through right. uh, Genesis so thirty eight. Tell us the story. We've we've referenced. Genesis 38 many times, yes. but we haven't told the story. Totally. So maybe start with the story. Yeah. So Genesis 38 focuses in on, like I said, Joseph's older brother, Judah. Okay. Judah has three children. The firstborn son, uh, Ur, uh, that's his name. He gets married to this woman. Wait, wait, what was it? Were you pausing there? It was like, um. Ur, it's okay. E-R, like literally <laughs> E-R, two letters. His firstborn son were introduced to him Ur. in verse six. Yeah. He's married to Tamar. Okay. And Ur ends up dying because he's wicked for whatever reason. Okay. And so we don't, this, we don't have backstory. We don't have a total backstory. Yeah. He's just wicked and he, he, dies. he dies in verse okay. seven. And so then at that, at this point, then that Leverite marriage system from Deuteronomy 25 kind of begins to kick into gear a little bit, yeah. if you will. So who's going to help Tamar? Who's going to help Tamar at this point? Yeah. So the second off or the second born son, his name's Onan. Now, I mean, these names are very strange, but yeah. just kind of yeah, roll with it here. It's probably very normal for normal them. Normal for them. Yeah. And so Onan in verse nine, he is kind of joined together with Tamar. And there's this very grotesque, you know, it might seem, it probably is grotesque to us, Genesis 38 verse nine, where Onan, knowing that his offspring would not be his as he's now married to Tamar, okay. he does not actually follow through with kind of the sexual intercourse okay. that he would be, you know, more or less obligated yeah. to have. Yeah, plug your ears. He, you know, he spills his seed he, yes. right on the side. On the that? side. That's what verse, verse nine actually says. Yeah. Now, in conjunction with this, kind of, just want to quickly highlight, connect it back to Deuteronomy 25. Yeah. In Deuteronomy 25, there was kind of a, a provision in place so that if the husband was, or the brother was refusing to actually follow through with yeah. this obligation, yeah. that the woman would be able to take that man to the court in front of the elders yeah. of the city. So the gate of the city. The gate of the city. Or like Mishpat and Tzedakah. Yeah. Justice are executed. For sure. Yeah. And so would then be able to yeah. more or less hold this man accountable for totally. not following up. Yeah. with kind of his end of the bargain, yeah. if you will. And on this instance, though, that doesn't necessarily happen, but what we're kind of, you know, tuned into here is that first Onan here yeah. is not following through with his end of what would be a measure to protect and care for yeah. Tamar. So that she can have offspring that can then care for her as she ages. As she ages, exactly. So then what happens in verse 10, Onan dies. And so you he's have, wicked too. he's wicked too. So just kind of reframe here. The firstborn son, yeah. Ur, dies. The second-born son, Onan, dies. Yep. And then Judah's third son, at this point in the story, he's a little too young to marry. Yeah. And so Judah, the, the father, he says, you know what? Wait till this third son, his name's Shelah, grows up. And when he kind of is at the age to be in marriage, then I will allow Tamar and the third-born son yep. to marry. And at that point, okay, Tamar seems to be okay with that. But by, you know, you, you keep going down a few verses, 
the third born son, he's now at the age where he could be allowed to be married. But for whatever reason, he's not given into marriage with Tamar. And now Tamar, as you're kind of reading from maybe her perspective, she's basically been, you know, kind of mistreated through this whole time, kind of been used as more or less kind of property and kind of for her as as like, I guess, like a sexual, you know, pleasure as far as from these other brothers at this point in the story. So Deuteronomy 25 is not being invoked here. Yeah. Not that necessarily that they would have had, you know, this Deuteronomy 25 may not have been written at this yeah. point yet, but kind of looking at it as a reader of the, the story, if you're an Israelite, you are looking at it with yeah. this lens of... Well, Deuteronomy 25 was written to protect women like Tamar, like Tamar from situations that might be like this. For sure, exactly. Yeah. And so as you know, you're an ancient Israelite reading this, you're going, they're not following through with what later the Mosaic yeah. Torah would, you know, essentially command and yep. instruct them as. And so what does Tamar do? Well, it seems like Tamar begins to take things into kind of she her own. Creative. She gets creative. That's a great way to put it. Um, and then what Tamar does is that she kind of dresses and disguises herself as a prostitute. And she comes to Judah, her father-in-law, yeah. and basically they come together. And what Judah wants to do is he wants to actually sleep with this prostitute. Yep. And so at this point in the story, Judah does not know that Tamar is a prostitute. She doesn't know, or he doesn't know that this is Tamar, his own daughter-in-law. And so what Judah does is that he gives kind of this, you know, kind of a down payment for basically sexual, you know, intercourse here okay. with the form of a few kind of treasured possessions that he has. And you can read about that in the actual chapter there. And so he gives these few possessions to Tamar. They sleep together. Tamar gets pregnant. And there'll be more de- details of that to come. And then later, Judah is then responsible for kind of following through with the rest of the payment yeah. for the sexual activity. And you can see why this is not in your children's Bible yeah, at this it's point. Yeah, just like, holy What cow. in the world is happening here? And remember, this is the family of Abraham, or yeah. descendants of the family of Abraham, yeah. that are meant to be a blessing to the nations. Yeah, so just, just like the, the depths and layers of human brokenness yeah, and sin in this is totally. just heartbreaking. It's off the okay, charts, for sure. And so at this point, then, after Judah and Tamar have sex, Judah is given the down payment. Judah is also responsible then for following up with that and basically fulfilling the rest of like yeah. what he owes and get his stuff back and get his stuff back. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and so he's kind of out wandering around. Okay. You know, have you seen this, you know, prostitute who was dressed in, you know, in this way, yeah. clearly not very ashamed. Yeah. That he was just with a prostitute. Totally. Yeah. But then he also at the, kind of almost simultaneously, it seems like receives word that from others that his daughter-in-law is prostituting himself herself, or herself, yeah. you know, out in public or, yeah. or, or whatever. And Judah has like this moment where he's super like holier than thou yeah. and righteous and basically says she should be you know put to death. Yeah. She, sh- she should be punished. This is unacceptable. Yeah. And the duplicity there is yeah. just unbelievable. Off the charts again. Yeah. And then what you end up having then as after he literally says, bring her out to be burned in verse 24, what you then have is Tamar comes out and she says, hold on a second. The man who got me pregnant gave me the possessions that are a signet, a cord, and a staff. And he, she basically comes out and says, here's the stuff that you gave for basically, you know, what we would consider a down payment, yeah. you know, essentially. And Judah's kind of like, you know, I would just imagine, you know, the red on his face. Yeah. The, the jaw you know, dropping. Exactly. Like, silence. Totally just found out <laughs> and exposed for his own, not only his hypocrisy, but the shameful yeah. act that he has yeah. committed. Judah kind of backtracks a little bit. He says in verse 26, she, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my, my son, she lost. So then we're kind of given a clue that perhaps the reason that this third son was not given was because it seems like 
kind of what commentators think is that, well, my first two sons died because there was some relationship with Tamar. So maybe I don't want my third son to die mm. now. So perhaps Judah was hesitant to give yeah. this third son over. And then the story kind of almost, I think, comes to a, an abrupt ending, it seems like. We're given details about Tamar's pregnancy and the delivery and the birth of twins that Judah and Tamar have. Yeah. Perez and Zerah are their names. And then the story ends. And that's Genesis 38. <laughs> and you're kind of like... Yeah, so then you're kind of left hanging. So you yeah. have this super intense story. Yeah. And then you go back to Joseph, and now you're like, why was that even in there? Why so was it even there? Why, why might the Torah, why might the scriptures as a whole, why might Genesis include a story like this? Sure. Like, why is it there? Sure, yeah. And I think there's a couple reasons. And I think on a, on a kind of big picture, kind of focusing on the Torah sort of level, okay. there's a level of, we're kind of alluding to this too, where perhaps a reader of the Torah is meant to compare and contrast Deuteronomy 25 okay. and kind of the prescription and instruction there and the action of Judah. Yeah. And in particular, looking at, again, this is the family of Abraham and kind of, you know, have an honest assessment of this family is, is flawed, is yeah. not you know, this upstanding, morally yeah. righteous family. Yeah. So there's a little bit of, I think, compare and contrast yeah. going on there. On another level, in the story of Joseph in particular, I think Joseph and Jacob, they have their own sort of transformation as the story progresses. They start, Jacob starts off as, as a deceiver yeah. and he ends up being a blessing to others yeah. and more or less seems to have matured throughout his life. Joseph, yeah. I think, has a transformation process. He starts off pretty arrogant. And by the end of the story, he's blessing and forgiving his brothers. I think a similar thing as far as transformation goes is happening with Judah. Yeah. When we're introduced to Judah in the beginning is pretty much this story here in Genesis 38. But by the end of the story in the book of Genesis, Judah steps up to the plate in a very crucial moment with Joseph and his brothers where Benjamin, it will, this is a whole other backstory here, but kind of be brief, where more or less Joseph has kind of tested his brothers to see have they really changed? Have mm -hmm. they really kind of grown and matured from the betrayal yeah. that they gave you know, decades before? And what happens is that the youngest brother, Benjamin, at this point, is framed for stealing like a silver cup and some very special possessions. Yeah. And in light of that, Benjamin is now kind of being taken into custody yeah. by the Egyptians and he's going to be, have to be punished. But yeah. Judah steps up to the plate, and this is chapters after Genesis 38. Yeah. And he steps up and basically says, no, take me instead. Yeah. Judah substitutes himself yeah. for the sake Which of others. seems to illustrate at least... Some growth. Some, some growth, some transformation. Exactly. Yeah. And perhaps what's happening here is that when Judah is exposed to his own hypocrisy and mm -hmm. his own sort of kind of narcissism and his own deception himself, there's perhaps the beginning of a turn for Judah in yeah. his life, where then when we kind of get more details about how Judah interacts later on in the story, we see a very different Judah, yeah. I think, than what Genesis 38 yeah. is depicting. Maybe there's even, like I think one of the sort of great, witnesses of scripture is that God can take anyone, uh, even the most broken people yeah. and redeem for sure and work through and work in. And maybe that there's a hint of that happening for sure in yeah. the story of Judah. And I think what we're seeing then is this is kind of echoing this kind of larger frame of the, really the whole family of Abraham. Yeah. And is that as God is going to use this family to be a blessing to the nations, we talk about this yeah. from Genesis 12 forward, that Judah, Joseph, Jacob, they have very serious flaws. Yeah. And that God is Throw still going to... Abraham gonna, in there too. Oh, yeah. all of them. All yeah, these guys, yeah. right? And they're not these morally like upstanding people that we should 100% perfectly heroes. emulate, for yeah. sure. And the thing is that God is going to work through even this family mess, yeah. even all this family dysfunction and relational dysfunction, God is going to still work through this family, not to excuse their behavior, yeah. not to excuse their actions at all. Sure, sure. 
But God is going to work through this family to the point where you get to the New Testament. Yeah. Matthew chapter 1, we're given the family backstory we call the genealogy yeah. of Jesus himself. The thing we often skip. Often yeah. skip, totally. But verse 3 of Matthew chapter 1, this whole story yeah. is basically hyperlinked in Matthew 1 verse 3, where, we're, where we read, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Tamar, if you kind of know Matthew chapter 1, is one of four women that are mentioned in the genealogy, which then and of itself would have been yeah. kind of obscure and different. Yeah. But all four of these women that are mentioned in Jesus' genealogy, more or less, either come from non-Israelite backgrounds and or have kind of sexual promiscuous sort of actions in the Old Testament. Wow. And what we're seeing when we come to Jesus himself is that his own family has a ton of, we might say, baggage and relational yeah. dysfunction. Yeah. And that it is through, I would you know, want to you know, argue might be too strong of a word, but might want to make the case for is that God is going to work through the brokenness and mm. the the sinfulness, not to again to excuse it, yeah. but to eventually lead to Hopefully, Jesus Himself, yeah, who wants to redeem and bring back together and heal families and to create one new family. Yeah. That's we call it the family of God. That's powerful. Um, there's a lot there, but I think as crazy and weird as the story is, it ultimately I think is going to continue on the family of Abraham to the point where it continues yeah. to Jesus Himself. So maybe two things. One is we can read these stories as actually these stories into human brokenness, evil, and sin as windows into sort of the redemptive possibilities mm -hmm. yeah. of God's work in the world. Mm -hmm. And we can also see, I think, for us, a sense of even hope mm -hmm. that even our darkest and least redeemable qualities, yeah. uh, that God can, God can do something. For sure. Um, which is powerful, I think. And, yeah. and again, not excusing. Yeah. This isn't sort of a... Forget, you know, all the horrible things that have happened. Yeah. Uh, but I do think there is a lens of hope and optimism that the scriptures give us mm -hmm. that even in the darkest moment, yeah. right, the, the light of God can shine. For sure. The scriptures are full of honesty and they're also full of hope at the same yeah, time. It's so. awesome. Thanks, cool. Aaron. That's great. Awesome.